Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Hey, this is Christy. And this is Chloe. And we are very excited that you're joining us today at the table. Chloe and I met in uh, graduate school, and ever since, we have fallen in love with food and many different ways to prepare it and many different ways to reflect on um, our lives and on the lives of others. Um, Today, we are talking about this incredible cookbook called Feed the Resistance, and we actually Mm -hmm. recorded this episode uh, a few months ago. And, um, at the time I was working at a winery and, uh, and now I've transitioned into a a new role in a commercial kitchen, uh, cooking at a retreat center. And, um, one of the things that Feed the Resistance really taught us was that cooking itself can be, um, a way to change directions and, and a way to, um, alleviate stress in a lot of different ways. And so at the winery, I would cook for for my friends and for my coworkers. And now in this new role, I'm cooking a lot for other people. Um, and one of the things that, that we do quite a bit is we roast cauliflower. But this Feed the Resistance cookbook provided us with an incredible recipe, tandoori cauliflower with minted yogurt. And it is cauliflower coming. Do you have any left? Oh, barely. <laughs> so when we started um, recording, I just got home from a very long day uh, at my job. And for Christy, as we prepare for our interview, um, cauliflower pieces have been disappearing one at a time from my plate. So <laughs> thankfully, I have a little bit left. But oh, my goodness, Christy, this stuff is amazing. So I love good. You were telling me just a few minutes ago that the cauliflower that you cook in very large batches for such a beautiful purpose. Um, sounds like it feeds hungry bellies. Uh, but this recipe sort of lit something up very different for you. Yeah. And I think because at the retreat center, we're cooking for masses. We're Mm -hmm. cooking for a lot of people. We need to be careful about what sort of flavors we use. So often it's very, very simple and, and it allows the, the vegetable or whatever we're making, it allows it to really shine through in its true character. So it's very simply roasted with salt and pepper, which is great and wonderful. And it's always Mm -hmm. very good. Um, but this particular recipe sort of allowed me to experiment a bit more with, um, with this vegetable that I had been working with for the past several weeks. And uh, just the color itself, um, we use turmeric in the recipe. And it's just this bright, vibrant yellow. Um, and basically the, the recipe itself is um, turmeric and cumin and cayenne pepper. And you mix that with some garlic and uh, full-fat Greek yogurt, which I'm all about, <laughs> <laughs> and and then just toss the cauliflower in it, and it's just the most incredible uh, flavor profile. And yes, and you yeah. actually bake it after putting the yogurt sauce on it, which I never would have thought before. But you put the yogurt-drenched cauliflower into the oven, let it roast up. 
and then take it out and um, serve it with additional yogurt sauce on top. And the yogurt sauce that you put on top of it has mint, it has lemon, um, some saltiness. It's just beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, was such a surprise. I also, something that Julia Tertian, the author of the book, um, really emphasizes is, gosh, there's a lot of different themes around food and social justice and resistance and how sometimes that looks like being able to cook large batches of food for Mm -hmm. people so that you can feed many people who are doing the really sometimes tiresome work of resisting of standing up for what they believe in um so there's there's that so she she says you know you you just throw you do this with a head of cauliflower and boom it, it makes this huge dish um she also emphasizes simplicity and accessibility and this recipe is really very it uses just a few key ingredients which is amazing so it's easy on the budget it's easy on time um it's very simple you just mix it all up and and roast it uh and it also it brings in these different um you know a lot of the recipes in the cookbook this one she did write and prepare but a lot of them brings in different voices different cultures different expressions through food uh which is another aspect that we really delve into in this interview or this conversation between the two of us is how do we remember that food is is not just about you know the beautiful substance that nourishes us but it's always linked in in our stories uh it's always linked with with the human person too and with human Mm -hmm. communities and how we treat one another so I think all of those elements show up in this recipe. For sure. And um, it's it's incredibly nourishing. I mean, I ate like two cereal bowls. I keep eating out of cereal <laughs> bowls. It's the best thing. Okay. But can we talk about how eating out of a bowl seems yes. so much more comforting? Oh my gosh. I've always thought that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Bowls and spoons bowls and spoons although i would highly recommend eating cereal out of a tall glass because that's delicious one of my good friends in college taught me that one but yes bowls there's something so yummy about that but maybe that's another topic for another day (laughs) out of a tall glass yeah Uh, except for cereal raisin bran specifically but anyways (laughs) um So true. Christy, how is making, you know, we had this conversation a couple of months ago, but just at this point in your life, how was making this recipe for you? Was it an act of resistance in any way? Mm. It, it absolutely was. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, cooking for other people is really, really life-giving and fruitful. Um, but, and I've heard this actually from a lot of kitchen professionals that, you're cooking for people every day and the last thing you want to do is cook for yourself when you get yeah, home. Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I'm like, but I love cooking. Mm-hmm. And and so I had today off and I spent all day cooking and it was the most meditative, most relaxing thing I could have done. And um and I blasted through that that cauliflower. I was like, <laughs> this is not going to last until Chloe and I talk. So <laughs> understood. <laughs> How is making this recipe for you? Yeah, I something that 
really stands out to me from this conversation that we have is um, your thoughts and your comments about how resistance can look like so many things. And Julia really talks about that, you know, uh, which we'll talk more about. But, um, you know, we need, I think at this point in our lives, we need to be actively resisting on so many levels, um, on really big scale things um, and on just the day to day. And I think sometimes it, for me, it's hard to remember that how I show up each day um, can be a form of resistance or a form of action and love. Um, so for me, making this cauliflower uh, very similar to you, I think, in that I am doing a lot of work uh, with people during the day. And it's been really hard for me to motivate myself to be in the kitchen um, mm. at night, even though I know that it's something that feeds my soul. I know that when I'm well fed and well energized, I'm that much more present and of service to others. And so making this, um, I think, was an act of service and an act of resistance to, or I guess, that exhaustion um, that mm. I feel sometimes. And this was saying, okay, I hear you. And how can I feed that exhaustion and, and help alleviate it a little bit and refuel me? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So with that, um, what do you say that we go ahead and, and reflect a bit? Chloe and I, um, we don't have a guest tonight, but we are united by the same table cross country. And so we worked on a little project this month called Feed the Resistance, Recipes and Ideas for Getting Involved. It's an incredible book by Julia Tertian. Um, and we read through it and we just wanted to share with you the incredible ideas that we got from it. Yeah, one of the things that struck me right off the front, I remember finding this in a um, bookstore, uh, gosh, probably a couple of months ago. I was browsing and right across the top um, in neon letters, it says proceeds will be donated to the ACLU, which is pretty cool. Um, just the whole intentionality behind Julia Trishan's book, it, it goes a long way. Um it involves she's she's a well-known cookbook author uh who also has this story in the beginning about how um after the the most recent election when there was a lot of turmoil and tension in our our country that that i think we continue to experience at a pretty high rate today uh she felt really moved to to be with others and um, inspired by others who were uh, showing resistance in whatever way that that was meaningful to them. And so she brought together this passion of cooking and the skill of cooking uh, into her activism work, and she found that by feeding others who were doing that work, that that in its, in its own form was a form of resistance. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, there, there are a lot of... Um a lot of beautiful metaphors that she uses throughout the book and that others use throughout the book. There are many essays written by other authors and lots of contributions of recipes from people of all cultures and backgrounds. It's just a really great conglomeration of a lot of different people. But I think what I love the most about it, there's this quote early on in the book um, about peeling and slicing onions. And uh, hmm. 
So can you so remind she, me what that one was? Yeah, yeah. So she writes, peeling and slicing onions and watching them soften in hot butter might not be the answer to world peace, but it is nice to know that when I do just that, I am one of millions around the world who are doing the exact same thing at the exact same time. When we cook, we are in solidarity. There, mm. There is power in that. And I think one of the things that that I've sort of, as I was reading through this book, I, I kept thinking for me, not only is it about the table um, and coming together around a meal, but it's also the act of cooking itself. Chloe and I spent a lot of time in the kitchen um, at the church where we worked uh, about, gosh, is it now like two years ago? It's mm-hmm. weird to think about. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time in the kitchen together cooking even more so time in the kitchen than we did actually eating around a table. And I think there's something so beautiful about um, being in the kitchen. I just remember memories uh, leaning against the refrigerator while my mom was cooking dinner and just watching her and being amazed at the things that could happen from those ingredients. So there's something really beautiful about community in the kitchen itself, too. Yeah, I think my family spent more time in the kitchen growing up than in the family room. Mm. Definitely more time than in the dining uh, room, that's for sure. Um, the kitchen was a really important important place. One of the things I love about this book is it takes all different forms of mediums often associated with food writing. So you have recipes from Julia herself. Um, she does cook regularly for for big groups of people um so you have those and then she invites recipe writers from various um, experiences and backgrounds organizations um and they share a little bit of their story before before offering a recipe and then in addition to that you have food essays um some really spectacular stuff like the the food essay on food and sex blew my mind <laughs> it was yeah. just the way that words were brought together it's pretty amazing um and in the end there's resources about okay so we're saying all these things but how how do we what do we do with this and how do we get involved in activism um especially using food but one one story that just I loved was uh, by a woman named Yana Gilbuena. Um, she identifies as Filipino and she says that food always brings people together. Whether you're a family of four or 10, one always, I mean, always cooks for 10 or more, just in case a friend, a cousin or a neighbor shows up at your dinner table unannounced. Mm. So she's talking specifically about the Filipino culture and, and her experience of it. Um, and I loved that image of that in that culture, they value um, making space at the table in the kitchen um, for the unannounced person. Uh, yeah, I think theologically that, that says something very powerful. Um, I know that in uh, spiritual direction, which is a spiritual practice, um, used widely across different faith traditions um, and definitely very active in the Christian tradition. There's a, a sort of a mentality for those who go through spiritual director training about 
the image of three chairs um the spiritual director international kind of the the accrediting body for that uses that image of um two folks sharing their their journey together and then there's an empty chair for the presence of the divine or holy um and what a cool concept and so what does what does that mean for us christy (laughs) what does that mean for for you um in your in your day-to-day life and how does that connect to resistance for you that idea of Mm. creating space um making extra space cooking for preparing for the unknown for someone else Mm. um that you've feel close enough to to eat with them to be intimate in that way yeah I think that's that's something that I'm trying to be as mindful of as possible these days um my job is very stressful um as as I might have mentioned in in previous uh episodes I work at a winery and this past weekend was a holiday weekend and we saw more than 10,000 people on our grounds (laughs) And um, I had an appointment come up on Tuesday of this week, and I asked one of my coworkers if they could cover for me, and and he was more than happy to. But um, in my ask, I also included, and I'll cook for you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I spent Tuesday after my appointment cooking this incredible soup that I I learned how to make through um, through Simple Church, the church where Chloe and I worked, and. Um, it's this beautiful, creamy, hearty soup of um, rice and chicken and lemon. Oh, I love uh, that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a Greek um, it's a Greek recipe, and we'll include that in the show notes. And unfortunately, I can't um, I can't pronounce it, uh, <laughs> but it is it is really an incredible. Uh, incredible soup. So anyway, I made that for my coworker and stopped by the winery late on Tuesday and and gave him a container of it just as a thanks. Um, and I think that when I cook for other people, it's it's one of the ways that I show my thanks and my gratitude and my appreciation for their presence. And for us at the winery, because we see so many guests over a short period of time, um, it is often very very stressful and sometimes difficult to get through the day and for me cooking for my coworkers has become an act of resistance against that exhaustion and against that stress and in small ways um though I know that you know I'm not um resisting uh the core fundamental issues of our day I still think in some small way I'm I'm hoping to create ripples of of compassion maybe um by doing that so that's one of the ways that i i try to to cook for others and, and show my love for others Hmm. yeah food as an act of gratitude mm-hmm. and honoring another and how that can actually be a form of saying no to some of the themes we hear on a daily basis um that tell us otherwise um in another story uh one of the authors was talking a little bit about how in his family specifically um how pound cakes have Mm. become he calls it a, a way of coping um and a way of comfort for 
for their whole family um, in times of need. I think it's just a really beautiful way. Uh, our, our theme for this season has been, you know, how do we tie our body to food and our, our you know, mind and movement. And I think one of the things, it's, it's interesting to see how food and um, and faith have a very somatic bodily connection and so there's there's a reason why they call it comfort food um it's it's a way for us to feel warm and surrounded by love when uh, one of the things that i've been thinking about a lot recently is uh, when you make a recipe from someone who has passed away in Mm. some ways you are bringing back their memory you are resurrecting you are a part of that renewal as you bring forth that minestrone soup and as you bring forth that ancient bread recipe that your grandparents used many many years ago Um, right it's engaging the senses yeah yeah and i i think that can be a pathway to healing as well Mm -hmm. Um, actually i talked with my parents this morning about some of their memories of of food and um it was just really interesting to to hear their stories and and how you know certain foods remind them of who their parents were unfortunately um all of them have passed away at this point but um we just have certain memories that are tied and and we're able to to bring them back it's just it's really really fascinating when we really delve into it um, just in the course of this conversation, we've talked about it as an act of gratitude, as an act of of comfort, as an act of healing, um, bringing up again, reforming. You know, I always get a little pushback from a lot of folks when I mention food and theology in the same sentence, because um, I think it's just sort of a... Um, there's some perceived distance between those two topics. And what do you think about food and activism or food and resistance? Um, I think that the way these, these multiple authors and, and Julia's work of weaving them together, it provided this beautiful tapestry of food as related to activism without putting it in a square or pinning it down really. Mm. Um, which is often how I feel about food and theology. It can't quite be pinned down, but it's something that's important to talk about. Um, and so I loved how, yeah, how in this book, I mean, they're addressing, um, that just the many different voices are addressing racism and structures of inequality, um, poverty and access, um, ecology, <laughs> so many different aspects of our life that's, that can be tied to sort of this collective struggle um, or the many forms that, that struggle takes. I mean, the more that you think about food and all of its many intersections, I think it makes absolute sense for food and resistance to be in the same conversation. 
one of one of the things that came to mind for me was at the very end of the book she um julia includes 10 things you can do in less than 10 minutes um and so one of one of the points she makes is she says if you're looking to go out to a restaurant go to a restaurant that's run by someone um, who might be an immigrant, a person of color, or someone who is within the LGBTQ community. Um, and then she says, if there's something on the menu that you're not familiar with, ask about it. Um, and so I think just by making that small little decision about going to, to a new restaurant that you've never been to and trying something new that you've never tried before, um, I, so I have a wonderful Malaysian friend, um, who uh, married one of my family, great family friends. Um, and she made a Malaysian dish maybe about four or five years ago for us. And it has still stuck in my memory. It's called uh, nasi lemak. And it's um, a traditional uh, coconut rice with an anchovy sauce. Hmm. Um, and served with cucumbers and maybe some avocado, some lime, hard-boiled egg. It, 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 it was just phenomenal. Hmm. And so last week I got a little bit creative and inspired and I tried to make it myself <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't go well. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it, um, it's just, even if you don't execute it well, at least we're able to um, explore a new and different recipe that we've never tried before, a new and different culture. At least we're, we're getting to know the ingredients in, in ways that we've never been able to. And I think part of the reason why it, it didn't work out when I made it is because it wasn't part of my, my culture. And so I, I bought a bag of dried anchovies and was a little freaked out um (laughs) and and I think um not having worked with the ingredients and not not really knowing in the end what it was supposed to taste like made it really really hard um I have no problem trying new recipes as long as I've had the recipes from before but this was like four or five years ago and it's it's really hard to to remember um yeah yeah I love that story. It illuminates the human ingredient, right? Or the human factor mm-hmm. in, in all of this, in this conversation, um, which is so relevant to all the stages of, you know, sometimes, um, especially folks with uh, financial access or, or racial privilege, one of the essays really goes into this in the book, which I thought was really candid and compelling of how, um, when we're trying to address the food movement, quote unquote, or like get involved with it. Um, we, you know, maybe go to whole foods. I'm speaking as a white person with, with access, um, or to the farmer's market. And we say, well, you know, if we can, um, support the food movement in this one way sometimes it just becomes it gets so narrowed down to just being something about food it's really interesting when I get coffee in the morning um at my workplace there's two different types one's organic and the other's fair trade and I just 
that sort of thing just drives me a little bit bonkers. Um, it's like, am I going to support the soil or am I going to mm-hmm. support workers' rights today? Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting how so many overlapping issues get um, washed down to these single line subjects and and it's almost we have to choose one or the other uh so i love how this book reinforces over and over no food is not just about the tomato or it's not just about um preventing global warming or it's not just about workers rights it has to be about all of those things until we see it about all of those things and start interacting with it in that way, we're not going to get very far. And so it's just interesting to see, to reflect on, um, for all of us to reflect on where are we, where are we located? What do we have access to? How are we engaging with the, the food movement and in general and, and what other aspects of life and justice is that reaching um, and how cool is it that the potential has to reach so so fully and so deeply when we start to to kind of bite into those issues and interact with them. And I thought that the one story or um, introduction and, and recipe that really captured that so beautifully um, towards the end of the book was by Jocelyn Jackson, who founded Justice Kitchen. And it reminds me of your story a little bit, Christy, because it talks about the human side of things. Um, And she says that each, quote, each time we spend time at the hearth, we have the opportunity to transform our relationship to place and people, end quote. And she attributes that to her her grandma making um, collard greens in in the kitchen. And, And like how you used to watch your mom, Christy, her just observing her grandma and the lessons that she gleaned from that time. But in the recipe itself, Jocelyn goes on. It, it was such a different way to write a recipe. I've never seen a recipe mm. written with such love. I think um, she, you know, she has some pretty simple ingredients listed. You just need the collard greens, the olive oil, some onion and some salt. Um, and then a couple of extra veggies and, and seasonings. Um, so she, she prefaces the recipe by talking about the greens themselves. And she says, go into your garden or a neighbor's garden or a community garden and harvest a handful of collard greens. And then she says to go to the farmer's market and to support the farmer and add some extra collard greens. Mm. And she says, take time in the garden and at the farmer's market to share your story of collards or other seasonal produce and experiences. All of this talking and learning and caring will make its way into the pot with your collard greens. I love that. Um, She's so concretely tying the whole process together. Um, how are you growing vegetables if you can? How are you interacting with others who maybe can grow vegetables when you can't? Mm. How are you supporting the people who dedicate their lives towards cultivating these vegetables? And then recognizing 
the conversations and stories that come from those meeting points actually if you provide the room and the space I think and the intentionality behind it infuse the the meal itself um with specialness um yeah so I just I I think that that really the folks in this book um who are doing such incredible work across the country tap into something deep for us to remember uh all the readers and and listeners and hopefully our listeners will have the chance to go and and get this book um or borrow it from the library or or listen to it yeah it's it's a really incredible book i think um it reminds me that in the midst of both of our uh crazy schedules chloe uh and and i have we are stretched pretty thin sometimes um uh, but it it just it reminds us that the act of cooking itself is an act of resistance to slow down and to take the time it, if you try to rush cooking it doesn't work um you end up with really sometimes awful results um so it it is really truly an act of of calm and stillness in the kitchen um and then to to share that meal together around a table to actually sit um, one of the things that I, I love Michael Pollan, so I'll bring him back in the conversation for just one second. <laughs> um, he has he has one single rule about, well, he has 10 rules, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, but one of the rules that stood out to me is don't eat if you're not going to sit at a table. Like how oh many gosh. times, right? <laughs> how <fail>. often <laughs> do we eat in the car? How often do we eat on public transportation? Or on How the couch. often are on the couch, <laughs> right? Don't eat unless we're oh, at a table. And I think that that, that, you know, that influences what we eat. It influences mindfulness and it influences the community that we're with. So when we sit at a table, there are other chairs there. Um, and I think it's just... It's, it reminds me that food is not just fuel. Food is what ties us to the source, the divine, however we define that. And it ties us to each other and it ties us to the land from where we've received it. So what's, what's on the horizon for what you're hoping to cook this week? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, to be honest, I haven't eaten a lot of vegetables in the past week or so. Mm-hmm. And and I have a lot of vegetables in the fridge that really need to be cooked. So actually, one of the recipes in here is a vegetable curry. Oh, and I turned right to it. It's a Thai yellow curry vegetable pot. And the author literally says that this recipe is the answer to all of the random vegetables kicking around in your refrigerator and counter. Ah, perfect. (laughs) So I think that definitely works. What about you? What are you making this week? Oh my goodness. I think I've been living off of tortillas and (laughs) hummus, (laughs) chips and bean dip, and maybe some ice cream for like the last 10 days. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) If I can 
locate fruit and vegetables that will be a huge step um i was really drawn towards the author's red lentil soup with coconut and cilantro she describes it as easy and fast and affordable and to serve a crowd which means leftovers um which sounds super great um i think sometimes (laughs) yes just being i get so excited about so many recipes um and then i get a little overwhelmed and i don't do any of them so i think think what i like is if i can just find a few at a time but i've really been noticing um the last couple of weeks whenever we've made soup i've felt very um yeah just rounded i know that's kind of cliche especially in fall time but i've really i've noticed something It, it does make a difference um the way that it makes the house smell and uh, it just, it's not too hard to do if I, you know, set my mind to it. And uh, yeah, and then it's really, it pays off for the next couple of days to have food to, to grab for lunch. So um, some good baby steps for me, I think, towards towards getting some nutritious food. Yeah, that's, that's very real. I think in any time that I settle down to make soup, I I think of all the other times that that we've made soup together. And mm-hmm. I think that again just tying it back to that that first um quote from Julia, it it truly is an act of solidarity um to yeah. be cooking the same recipes together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she I love when she says that food is literally the one well not the one but it's the thing that she says the thing that the entire world explanation mark all have in common i love that it's it's just like Mm. um absolutely uh solidarity on a very fundamental level and i think from that a call towards solidarity um Mm. It's such a simple reminder of folks who do not have a meal um, at the time when others are eating. It's a good starting point to do something and to do something, whether it's small or um, whether it's, like you said, supporting the local restaurant or packing an extra sandwich in in your bag if you see someone. Um, Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're that person that doesn't have a meal. right now and what I hope for is that in our communities I think there's such amazing work being done about creating more and more places and resources for people um, to have a really delicious and dignified meal um, on a regular basis and so whether you're someone who can get involved in supporting that or you're someone who's looking for that um, I think it's important that we continue to talk about it and, and recognize it and get involved in whatever ways we can. So I've loved this entire conversation. And one of the things that, that came to mind while I was reading this is a song by the band Nako and Medicine for the People. Um, this song is called We Are On Time. And Chloe and I have both um, have both fallen in love with this band. And 
this particular song, their their lyrics are um, point towards this solidarity that we're talking about. the The lyrics read, "Sometimes I'm broken, sometimes I'm mended. I am on your side. I am not drawing a line. I only want is want what is right, what is best for your life. So let your guard down. Give a little, get a little." We are on time. I'm on your side. And I think that all of this, when we take it all together, um, whether it's environmentalism, whether it's access, whether it's um, racism and and xenophobia, um, when we bring all of that together through the venue of food, I think we can really strive to make a difference and really be on one another's side. Um, so if you're interested in learning more, particularly about NACO and Medicine for the People, because we love them, um, you can check them out at their website, NACO.com. And if you're interested in picking up a copy of Feed the Resistance, you should definitely check it out because all proceeds will be going to the ACLU. Um, so definitely check that out. The book is called Feed the Resistance, Recipes and Ideas for Getting Involved by Julia Tertian. We'll have a link in our show notes. Yes, we will have a link in our show notes. And um, so thank you so much for joining us tonight. And uh, we hope that you too can feed the resistance. Thank you so much for joining us at the table. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think by leaving a rating on iTunes. Or if you have show ideas, comments, or just want to reach us directly, send us an email at fully.yours.podcast at gmail.com. For today's show notes, our blog, and more, be sure to check us out at FullyYoursPodcast.com. Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for their generous grant funding of this podcast. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford Martin for producing the original song featured in this podcast. Also to Melody for our gorgeous logo design and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Until next time, we are fully yours. <laughs>